Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Hey, Jason. What's going on? Well, Preston, I uh, have been able to get out and walk a few fields here recently, and I'm getting pretty excited about harvest. Things are looking pretty good. Uh, Excited to see the results of all our trials to start crunching data. It's always a good day when you're in the seat of a combine. Absolutely. As you know, Jason, with our role, Harvest is kind of like our Super Bowl, where we've we've planned out all these trials, probably started this planning process in December, and here we are where we finally get to see the results of all that work. This year, I'm really excited. Uh, just things look great from a yield perspective, and I'm curious to see what kind of numbers we come out with this year, and to be able to con- contrast and compare some of those different treatments we're looking at is, is pretty exciting. Absolutely. And when we think about yield and, you know, we're excited about probably a big yield, our guest today is a natural for that topic because he's a regular contestant in the National Corn Growers Association Yield Contest. In fact, he has set some record yields on his farm in Central Illinois. Jeff Brown is a, is a Central Illinois farmer that also has background in the seed industry. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview with Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here today. Hey, thanks for asking. Yeah, to start out, would you tell the listeners a little bit about your background? Okay, I grew up just south of Decatur, Illinois on a farm. I'm the fifth generation. Um, There was not really room for me at the beginning after college, so I went and worked in the seed industry, worked in seed production of seed corn, seed beans, and then after that, I went into sales and was a DSM for about eight years. And then I went to the technology side of climate for about two years. And then after some changes in the operation, father passing away, there was uh, room for me to to get involved uh, 100%. And that's when I started farming full-time just a couple of years ago after about a 28 year stint in the seed business. You've seen the seed industry from quite a few different perspectives. Not a lot of people probably have that frame of reference where you've been in the seed production, the sales side, the digital side, that's a pretty unique viewpoint. Yeah, it was. It gave me a lot of opportunities to learn. And then, so agronomically, you know, in seed corn and seed beans, you you learn a lot about both of those crops. People don't call you out to look at good things. They always call you to look at problems. (laughs) So learn the evolution through the biotech age, which was you know, the chemical age was already done. The fertilization was already done as far as the era of the 1900s. But as as kind of wondered what my era was going to be, and it turned out to be the biotech age, which has been good and interesting and amazing uh, from that standpoint. And then as we entered into the technology side, I was interested in that. And, you know, one of my strengths was I was always able to take this products, whatever it was, home and try it on large scale production to see the value of it and try to help my customers learn more about it. So I was a different DSM, I was a different climate rep because I was always given a lot of input from a personal side of trials and things like that that I did. So that kind of gave me a niche over the other uh, competition, but also helped my learning it's, it's interesting that you mentioned yeah. those different eras of agriculture and just kind of as a 
little bit of a shameless plug here. I'd encourage listeners to go back and listen to our interview, two-part interview with Rob Syke about the five iterations of agriculture as he sees it, which is a really interesting book and was an interesting interview. Yeah, for sure. So Jeff, I've known you for a couple of years now. Um, I've known you to always be a forward-thinking farmer, and I'm we're kind of interested specifically in corn here today. But before we get into that, I'm curious how you describe yourself as a farmer. To me, my perspective, you almost seem as much as a, a scientist as you are a farmer. Is that how you would describe yourself? Well, I'd say my my focus, my passion is maybe more in that line. So, you know, you always follow your passions or that's where you're usually successful at. So learning the, you know, not only the economics of it, but seeing the value of producing higher yields for better returns, uh, net income was always, uh, you know, I guess the guidelines. And then as I progressed on, uh, pushing yield became a a foremost uh, idea of goal, I guess, every year was to keep learning. So in my career life, I always gave a, a lot of presentations and always said, you know, like, for example, this year would be my 26th freshman year of farming. So I just look at it that way, is that, that I'm, um, I'm always a freshman, you know, and, and even though you're, you're in the area, I don't want to be cocky or, or think I know it all because then you stop learning when you, when you start thinking like that. And I saw a lot of producers, uh, probably their, their weakness was that they thought they knew everything and there's always a lot to learn out here. And the more you learn, the more you know you don't know. So I've always challenged myself to, to keep that edge of trying to learn and pursue, whether it's just the basics of the corn plant or the soybean plant or pricing and uh, markets. And then what I learned in the last couple of years on, as I was farming on my own, was uh, I, I can't be good at, you can only be maybe great at one thing, good at a couple and everything else is gonna suffer. So I partnered myself with a couple guys in my peer group that I joined and one guy is really good at marketing, crop insurance and government programs. And another guy is really good at the labor and the equipment side of things and has an establishment there that's pretty valid. So I thought, why not partner with them? And that that's worked really well here as we developed over the last year. So uh, those, those are some things where I think is where the future is going to be is working with others, maximizing your strengths and minimizing your weaknesses. So those are some things, you know, you learn in, in those meetings uh, we used to have as, as DSMs or climate man- business managers. And those helped uh, bring back that experiences back to the farm. So I could run this more like a business because, you know, we deal with lots of money and you have lots of opportunities. You just have to make good decisions and, Sometimes uh, you need a sounding board to, to help you get through those, uh, finding those best decisions. So, so that's one thing different, probably my operation from others is that it's a we, not an I, and we try to use that mentality all the way through the process. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that, um, you know, a lot of farmers probably today would kind of fall into that mold of, being somewhat scientist because uh, there's a lot of products out there. There's a lot of things that they can do and the tools are there to evaluate the things that they're doing. So today, you know, there's a lot more research going on on farms than there probably was 
10 to 15 years ago. Sitting here, it's August, it's 2020. Um, this year, last year have been kind of challenging for different perspectives. Just curious, how, how is this year's crop looking in your area? What would you say about you know, how the crop is developing? So I farm just south of Decatur around Booty to Blue Mound, Illinois, and that's, that's been quite the, the honey hole, I'll say that. It's, it's, I don't know if it's as good as 2014, but it's going to be pretty darn close. Uh, uh, we've struggled a little bit, of course, like everybody getting things planted, but I was patient and waited. So my stands, I don't hardly have any ponds. My emergence was great. A um, little bit of corn planted in April. Uh, a little more, quite a bit, and a couple things in uh, a couple different dates in May, and then ended up on some wet farms in June. But I tell you what, the the June could be as good as as those others, uh, due to the really it's the sunshine, right? That's one thing I've learned is is sunshine and extended grain fill, and with the cooler nights, cooler days, and colder nights, and and we're setting ourselves up to a and full sunshine during the day and adequate moisture. I mean, we've mowed every week of the season, either five days. So you can go from your lawn mowing uh, experience that if you mow every week, that crop is in good shape. And right now it looks green, green, dark green. It things things look really good. I'm I'm trying not to jinx myself because it can all change in 15 minutes like those poor guys in Iowa and Northern Illinois that had the big winds this week. So uh, we've, we've missed the big rains and we just caught timely rains. So I'm, I got great stands. We're just getting ready to start yield estimates uh, this afternoon. Um, you know, we got plenty of labor around the farm here for uh, high school and college kids of mine. And so we're going to, a lot of training going on since the COVID experience here. And uh, trying to teach the, I'd say young adults. I hate calling them kids because they're young adults. So try to teach them a lot. They've been involved in the whole process, and they're really stepping up to, to uh, be able to take over the farm and learn and be part of the entire operation, whichever one they choose, uh, as they go further in their career after college. I think you made an interesting point uh, as we, you know, get into this conversation and talk a little bit about what growers do to, to increase yield. You really can set up that yield potential, but the weather we don't have much control over. So it, it, it also takes weather, doesn't it? It does, but there's a lot of management decisions. Either, you know, waiting to plant was probably the hardest. I had a lot of neighbors that planted and I didn't, and my partners were ingredient agreements to that. So they were able to, I guess we calmed each other down whenever one of us got weak. Uh, the other two were like, hey, now we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. And then sooner or later you start thinking maybe this isn't the right thing. But then it snowed, you know, so uh, we did plant some beans early. And then so that kind of makes sure everything works and you feel like you got something in the ground. It gives you something to worry about. But corn, corn, you got to treat it right. I've been in a lot of meetings and high yield groups and, and those things are just, it's all about staying. I mean, last year I spoke at a, at a field day and they said, how's your crop look this year? And I said, well, I'm not doing anything special because the crop came up uneven. So I'm already behind. Um, you know, it was a good crop. It wasn't a great crop, but to get high yields, you got to have a, you got to have a really good emergence. And we've, we've got that this year. 
it's going to be a later crop, but that's fine. We've had time the rain falls, and if we catch uh, a lot more cool evenings here, we'll I think we'll benefit quite a bit. Nice. You men mentioned earlier uh, that you're kind of in a honeypot as far as the world goes of uh, soil productivity, and I can attest to that for the listeners. I've had research there. We've had research there for I don't even know how long, Jeff me or my predecessors have been on your farm, but I know at least one out of the last two years, we had the highest yield in the entire country. I know you're a part of the National Corn Growers Association competition. Wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and some of the yield you've seen through that competition. So that's an interesting story, Preston. And back in 2014, when I was a DSM, we were encouraged to get more people signed up in the corn growers contest. So for me to learn it and be able to talk about it, i enrolled myself in the contest that season turned out really good great emergence timely rainfalls cold days cold nights during grain fill extended grain fill period and uh, rang the bell on my first entry ever at 350 bushel and captured third in the nation that year in the no-till and got first in the state and then from there i was able to uh, um, nobody else has ever set the uh, record at 350 on the NCGA that I was able to find out through the Illinois Corn Growers. So uh, pretty well hold that title since 2014 and looking to maybe maybe this year, maybe touch up against that if things go right. But that was just basic corn planted, nothing special. And then from that, I was able to hang out with some other really good uh, people that know how to grow corn. So the Randy Dowdy's, Kevin Cobbs, David Hula's, um, you know, a lot of people. Uh, don't want to leave anybody out, but there was a lot of people that I've talked to and then groups that I've, I've interacted with through that. And then now I'm in the MAC group, which Kevin Cobb from Southern Indiana, 12-time national champion. He's a... Uh, he knows how to grow corn without irrigation, so I'm in that group, and we're, we're, uh, we're learning together and learning tissue testing. Uh, it's very hard to do because it takes a commitment every week, so we've been pulling samples uh, on that, uh, trying to figure out how to grow corn for next year, and then also maybe have some success this year. So, so that that's been probably the best thing um, is is the tissue testing and the scheduling and then working with uh, monty's they're working with us quite a bit in that group so we're able to have that guy's experiences too on feeding the crop and getting the product to feed the crops and then i use wide drop so maybe another application of, of wide drop over my regular commercial corn and then also adding some of those products in my commercial corn. So I'll know how those perform, whether it's more sugar or more boron or humic acids. And I'm learning all the time about how to try to raise more corn. I don't think it's just throwing nitrogen on and throwing maybe two or three applications of fungicide, but it's, it's knowing what your crop's short in my area, on my soils, in my operation, and being able to, you know, the goal is to, to not just hit a high yield, but to do this across acres sustainably, economically, and have an ROI. So, so we're we're working on that. My partners are uh, maybe freeing up my workload on some other things so I can focus on this, and it's hopefully it pays off for all three of us. 
So I'm, I'm really excited for this fall to see what my trials come out as. So my whole farm is basically a test plot. So uh, once the combine starts to roll, it will be interesting to see how maybe some of those tweaks and changes in our trying to spend the same amount of money and then still obtain higher yields or spend less money on different products. And but the old the old days of dry P and K 200-200 and anhydrous. I mean, I haven't used anhydrous in a long time. So pretty much going to a full liquid program and trying to see how that works in my soils and in my you know area with my topsoil that I've been blessed with. So just for the average consumer out there that maybe isn't a farmer, some of the things you're talking about there, traditionally growers really focus on nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium and putting those on the crop. And when we talk about corn, especially uh, nitrogen, but you're, you're referencing, you're adding a lot of other nutrients that are, that the crop uses in smaller quantities, but also are important to yield, correct? Correct. And, you know, when I say tissue tests and, you know, it's basically like a blood test lab work for the crop. And if you're short a certain nutrient, why wouldn't you put that nutrient on that high? How high a level does that need to be? That's where the Mac group has helped me and Monty's folks have helped me uh, to find that product and apply it so that I don't have mixture problems and things like that. So, so by doing that so-called tissue test or we'll say a blood sample, if you use a human, then just trying to fill that need. There's no use putting more nitrogen on if you're short boron. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. It's not going to help it. So. Um, any of the, any of the ideas, and most of these products are all, you know, natural or non-chemical. So there's a lot of, you know, you, you could even look at it down the road as being a sustainable, whatever that word means to many different people. But um, you can usually avoid putting as much of one product on if you give it some more of another product. So that's what we're going to discover here this fall once we, once we start harvesting. Hope so anyway. So you threw out, you know, some pretty big numbers there. You talked about your 350 bushel crop and, you know, typically growers are probably happy with, uh, in this area, 250, you know, it depends on the year, obviously. Uh, national averages uh, run somewhere, you know, 175 or something like that, I believe. So what do you think about yield potential? Are we uh, reaching our maximum yield potential or with improvements in genetics, are we going to continue to improve corn yield over the next 20 years or 50 years when we talk about a combination of genetics and agronomics, I guess? What do, what do you see for the future? I would say it's more in the practices than it will be the agronomics or as far as the genetics. The genetics, you know, back in 2014, Randy Dowdy had 6208 on irrigated ground and grew 503 bushel. I raised 350 bushel with exactly the same hybrid and almost the same population. So right there, it shows the genetic expression of the hybrids was 150 bushel more than what I raised. And, you know, that's a great deal for me, but there's still a lot of, the genetics have far outpaced what we as farmers or what we can provide from an environmental standpoint you know, weather and sunshine and things like that. I mean, Dowdy has a different world down there. He's got different soils, more different sunshine, heat, all that thing, irrigation. So, you know, there's a lot of differences there. But it just shows the genetic potential of these hybrids is through the roof. I think in the next 
three to five years as, as we keep learning and doing things differently and challenging ourselves. Uh, back to that freshman attitude again instead of a, a senior attitude is, is we got to keep pushing ourselves to learn more. And, and the guys that do will probably keep pushing yield um, advancements, whereas those who don't will probably get what they've always got. So. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're moving our operation to a lot more strip till just to avoid a lot of compaction and, and problems that tillage, tillage creates problems and tillage solves problems. You just have to figure out what works best for you and your operation. I mean, number one is, is tile. You got to tile your ground first. Number two, because that starts aerobic activity. Once you get your microbes working for you, then you start putting the humic acid on. And that basically just separates the fertility that we've dumped on the soil for so long and separates it from the soil molecule and makes it available for the microbes to eat the process. And as a microbes process it, it just goes up into the plant and it provides more plant availability. Once you reach a level of high yield, then you can start pulling some things back down nutrient-wise and start being a lot more you know, sustainable. And your soils are so much healthier than probably what they were before based on soil tilth, um, organic matter, things like that will increase through some of these other cultural practices. So that's what I'm most excited about. And, you know, I'm, I'm 51, so, you know, I, I still got a few more years to, to keep learning, but I'm really trying to get my, my sons, who's 17 and 20, get them educated that, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I just keep trying new things and it's been successful for me. So I just want to help them get to the next level as they take over being the sixth generation. And so, so they already think differently, which is, which is half the process or more than half the process is to think differently instead of planting corn two inches deep and planting your neighbor's plant and use the same things they're using. Um, I, I just, I don't know. Now, some days that'd be a lot easier and it'd be, Maybe cheaper, but cheaper doesn't always make more money. So I'm, I'm pretty much in the attitude. I got to keep learning. I got to keep pushing myself and encourage other producers. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Because after I won the contest a few years ago, I was ready to go at it full bore and didn't, didn't know enough. So I had to scale it way back and start learning and, and get my process down. So that's... I've learned a lot in the last few years, and that's pretty much where I'm at now, is, is teaching the next generation um, to take over while watching them and help them get to the next level. I think you made a couple of interesting points there. I think one is uh, you talked about passing the operation on to your sons and teaching them what you know. And I think maybe, you know, maybe people realize maybe they don't, but that's really the goal of, of, I would say most farmers, they want to pass on the operation, the, the ground, the soil onto their next generation in a, in a better shape than it is in currently, if possible. So it's kind of interesting that we talk about sustainability and really, to me, sustainability is, is passing things on to the next generation that they can continue to use that resource. Uh, another interesting point, I think, from, you know, kind of a theme of some of the things you've said is that it's not, when you talk about how to manage a corn crop, 
it's not a one size fits all approach. I mean, you, you reference that several times. It's what works in your operation and even on your specific field. So the, the answer for one field in your operation may be very different from, a, from another field within your operation. That's exactly true. Everybody needs to start and then get committed and then push themselves to, to keep learning and then just realize, hey, I, I have failures, but I, I try to learn from those failures. Um, we were out yield checking Friday night with my youngest son and, and I was like, man, something happened here. So I still haven't figured out what I did wrong there, but that's one of those, I, I got to learn from that too, as, as well as learn from your su success. You have to learn from your mistakes, but uh, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep, keep pushing myself to run out of money, I guess. But uh, hopefully, hopefully I get some money back on, on that through two higher yields or through using better practices. That's an awesome perspective, Jeff, and uh, we want to be aware of your time, so we're probably going to wrap it up here, but we appreciate you coming on, and maybe if you're up for it this winter, we could have you on again to maybe dig into some of those management conversations, especially things like variable rate technology, maybe some of those other things that I'm curious to know if you're, you're testing on your farm. Um, but with that being said, is there a way listeners can follow you or reach out to you, maybe your Twitter handle or something like that? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. That's where I, I try to keep most of my, my business fun, uh, information at. Uh, it's, but it's Jeff M. Brown 1. Jeff M. Brown 1. And that's where I keep, uh, I, I post a lot on there and I, I learn a lot from others. And then through the Mac group, uh, they also have a, a Twitter account which you can find. So it's it's good to see what some of the other producers are doing in different areas. So that's that's been fun and i'd love to love to be back and share some of the things i've uh, learned this year so others can learn faster so they don't have to go through the painful moments of some things that i did but everybody has to experience it on their own and, and also try their own things in their own areas so but we've been pretty blessed this year uh with the extra labor and then also with the extra uh, pretty good weather conditions since planning so so we'll see what this probably start rolling here in about a month so uh, be looking forward to that build another bin and probably need some more grain bags so it should be a good year thank you jeff thank you The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.